G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. As we do on a Thursday, we like to check in with Family Voice Australia and those big issues that are shaping our nation today. A special welcome to Daryl Budge, who is Family Voice State Director for Western Australia, and he's also President of the Coalition for the Defence of Human Life. Daryl, a special welcome on to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's good to be with you. Daryl, so many listeners will be familiar. Family Voice, a strong advocate for marriage and family, and so there is a necessary focus on addressing the rise of a very strong transgender agenda. Uh, Let me ask you about a new study that seems to contradict the transgender narrative and suggests that puberty blockers for young people actually spike youth suicide. Uh, What are your thoughts here, Daryl? Yeah, that's right. The Heritage Foundation, American Foundation, um, looked at the data from the CDC and uh, the states that are actually allowing access to puberty blockers and cross-sexual hormones for young children without parental consent. And in those states, they found approximately a doubling of youth suicide rates. They particularly looked at ages 12 to 23. And they found that in those states where it was easy to access, youth suicide didn't go down and actually went up. And that's a very interesting result. So there's a contradiction in here. Uh, Your thoughts on that contradiction, because the rainbow activists, they claim that gender-confused children need radical medical intervention, but there's something in that sort of study that is an absolute contradiction to that, isn't it? Indeed, yes, and that's an objective look at things. Um, Obviously, we have a control group, and so they looked at the older ages, 24 to 36 age group, and there was basically a a suicide rate went down in that age group. So it's basically saying that uh, suicide has actually increased as this transgender agenda has been increased in those particularly liberal states in the US. So that obviously means that here in Australia, we really need to think very carefully. We need an inquiry at a national level about the uh, massive increase that's going on. Um, The other side of politics would argue that uh, uh, Minors are not actually getting access to um, surgery in Australia, but even that is actually happening as well. We know that um, courts are ordering uh, minors to be able to have access to this. Um, Parents are trying to oppose it and courts are giving access to minors in Australia too. Um, And we know that minors are getting access to cross-sex hormones from very young ages, even younger than 12. So this is something you really need to examine at a national level. You know, Daryl, there are some confusing messages out there, aren't there? Because there is this sort of argument that sometimes you'll hear that if you don't affirm these children and young people uh, in this transgender narrative, uh, that if you don't give them the puberty blockers, that somehow or other uh, they're going to be bullied or however that will happen uh, and increase suicide. But Uh, This is a contradiction to that part of the narrative as well. Any thoughts from you here? Yes, that's right. We need uh, far more um, care and counselling for these people. Even people at Westmead Children's Hospital, the counsellors and psychologists at that hospital put out a paper 
Uh, you've probably heard much about this one. There's about five researchers that did a very extensive paper and said, look, we know that there's these comorbidities, there's these things that we're not able to examine properly, we need to examine them much more closely. So there's objective pushback coming from within their own medical community here in Australia. Um, we know that they need more. And there's huge amounts of concern from the Tasmanian side. That even the Tasmanian um, Medical Association has said, we're, we're very concerned about this idea we're going to block access to kids to proper counselling. And they're saying we need to make sure we, we pull back from these extreme moves in Victoria and, and, and Tasmania from giving access to kids to proper counselling and being able to know exactly all the risks and actually be able to say no. I'm not ready for that yet, um, but counsellors and psychologists are going to be blocked from even offering that good advice to kids. And for Christians and people that want to offer that good counselling, you know, Victoria is kind of taking the world lead and has the most extreme um, interventions against just good advice. And so we want to see that stopped and want to see kids getting proper care that they should, Christian care, but also just proper medical care. Well, we know something is dreadfully wrong when governments are legislating that not even your doctor or a counsellor can tell kids the truth. And so this confusion in young people when they need support and uh, these are the ones who have the compassion of the Christian community because it seems to be that it's only the Christian community that's standing up and saying doctors and counsellors need to be able to tell children the truth and governments ought not to be legislating that. Hey, Daryl, you're in fact calling for an urgent inquiry into the treatment of gender-confused children in Australia. That's right, yes. So we've been calling for that for the last couple of years at the very least, um, that we need an urgent national inquiry. Um, Greg Bonder, we wrote to him, he's kind of fobbed it off to the states for quite some years. Um, sorry, not Greg Bonder, the, um, the previous health minister, Greg Hunt, um, he, he fobbed it off for, for ages and said the states should do the examination, but we think that's not good enough. We think the Albanese government should definitely institute a national inquiry into these things, and it should be an independent inquiry, independent of um, some of the very uh, somewhat compromised medical community sections that have taken control and written white papers and medical papers and standards of care that very much suit their own agendas um, that I think we might say are driven by profit rather than by care. So we really would like to see those things changed and turned around and the National Inquiry begun. Well, I'll give the Family Voice website in just a few minutes at the end of our conversation for listeners who might want to connect with Family Voice and be a part of whatever push there is on for that urgent inquiry into the treatment of gender-confused children in Australia. Hey, I'm going to be following this through a little later in the program in perhaps more detail around schools chaplaincy, but there was an announcement just last Friday from the new uh, Education Minister, Jason Clare, around issues of school chaplaincy. Uh, what are your thoughts on what's happened uh, so far as this new move, Daryl? Yes, well, it certainly it's, um, it does reflect a policy that Labor had in the, when they were in government previously. Um, but what it does mean is that schools will be under a lot of pressure now that there's this option that the $60 million is available to just get a secular social worker instead. Um, schools that have had really good care from these chaplains, over 3,000 schools have continued to be part of this program and they have great pastoral care from these counsellors and they're very well qualified, not just a certificate for, but uh, over 74% of them actually have much higher qualifications in related areas. So um, we see that this chaplaincy program has delivered a lot. So 
We had a commitment, um, Greg Bonder, our New South Wales State Director, had a commitment from Labor prior to the election um, that uh, the paraphrase is that the Labor strongly believes that every student should have access to wellbeing support they need. Our priority is making sure students have the support they need at school so they can focus on learning. Labor values the staff who play a key role in student welfare and students' wellbeing is vitally important. And they, they committed to this change. But it's interesting that they really do think that students' wellbeing is very, very important. I think that students should be properly exposed to these values and care and professional care that chaplains provide. And um, social workers are available in many other fields. There's already career counsellors and things like that at schools that are funded in different ways. And we think the chaplaincy programs are very important. We'd like to see the education minister commit to upholding his pre-election promise that he really believes in student well in welfare and that um, that there is proper access to a chaplain at schools and that um, schools won't be put under pressure by activists just to institute a, so, a social worker that's not at all religiously um, motivated. And I think that religious motivation is extremely important for, for students to understand that there are some things that they can't learn by mere rational examination, but there's there's got to be a deeper look at um, the bigger questions about life, and that's what students are really struggling with right now. Removing that spiritual dimension actually makes a huge difference. Hey, just reflecting that when they implemented this National Chaplaincy Program, and I think that was in the Howard years, uh, Labor was consistently... Uh, a bipartisan supporter of the chaplaincy That's program. Right. And so is it at all disturbing at this point that there is what might appear to be a watering down and uh, the thought that, well, let's displace some of those Christian chaplains and get some secular welfare counsellors in place. Uh, thoughts from you here, Daryl? Is it a watering down? Is there something to be concerned about here? Are chaplains likely to be losing their jobs? Yes, it's likely that some chaplains will lose lose their work. Um, however, I really do believe that if the Christian community can speak up about the value that these chaplains provide, the chaplains themselves are recognised um, for their extremely great work. I mean, there was a survey uh, just a couple of years ago issued by the um, Department of Education. They commissioned it and they said, let's do a national survey. They found huge amounts of parents. Over 80% of parents love the program. Um, 80, uh, so 70-80% of principals love the program and there was about 500 parents that responded as, and over 70% of them loved the program. So there was a huge um, positive response to it back in 2018. So the, the fact that this call is coming from the Labor government reflects that it's this small part of, tiny part of the community is, uh, you have this activist motion against Christian values in the public square and they just want to see that that's censored or removed in whatever way possible. But we see over 3,000 schools love the program and they want to see it continue, I would think. So we as Christians need to speak up for that. And following that up a little more and uh, perhaps some more detail with Scripture Union in a conversation coming up just over an hour from now on 2020. Hey, let's get a thought or two. A uh, big one that's, you know, it's actually shocked some people. The Greens leader, Adam Bant. Uh, you're describing him as un-Australian and anti-family because he doesn't want to be seen in the same uh, frame when he's on television standing next to our Australian flag. What are your thoughts here, Daryl? Right. Uh, our Australian flag is a, is a unity symbolic um, symbol of our, of our stance together as saying we are one nation, one people, and we love each other, and we both uh, all have equal value. 
under this common national flag. And uh, there are some sections of the community who find that this nationalistic idea is terrible, but nationalistic values are, are uniting values of what our country stands for. And our flag kind of carries that um, banner, I guess you could say. And so for the Greens MP, Adam Bant, uh, the leader of his party, to say he, he doesn't stand by the Australian flag and is ashamed of the values that our flag have come to represent in a sense. So therefore, I think really Anthony Albanese and the Australian Parliament should um, move against such a such a move that the Australian flag should be part of every press conference. And we're, so we're calling for um, the Australian flag protocols to be reinstituted at a parliamentary level, that they should be flown in a position that's um, not, not flown in a position that's inferior to any other flag or ensign. And so the Australian flag is meant to be that unity symbol. And when somebody who's particularly a politician is wanting to fly another flag in a superior position, they're introducing subversively some alternative values that these other flags might represent. And that's why I think it's quite dangerous as a community, and that's why people are saying it's un-Australian, and we believe it's un-Australian too. I think in reflecting on those debates that have happened over the years, sometimes uh, debates about the flag and whether we should keep the flag or whether the Union Jack should be taken out of the corner, all those sorts of things that have been debated, oftentimes, Daryl, that actually strengthens community attitudes to the flag usually it backfires. But when you've got a member of parliament that is pushing these things, we sort of expect, don't we, our members of parliament, that when they are elected to serve the people of Australia, that they might set the best example and and uh, and and uh, and make sure that the Australian flag is something that's honoured. That's right. You'd think that our, our politicians representing the people in which they have elected them, that they want to stand by and affirm and... Um, even to speak strongly of the values that they do really enjoy and promote in Australia. But in a sense, we're seeing them promoting this divisive attitude of saying, we're going to stand at some completely other flag and um, trying to divide Australians. And I think that's un-Australian and it is potentially anti-family as well. And Adaban and the Greens Party represent so many other quite um, concerning values. Like they want to institute uh, complete, full medical care coverage for people who want to um, institute stream sex uh, surgery, um, but as if that would actually better alter their gender. And so he wants the Australian community to fund all of that as well. So the Greens Party has some very concerning values. I think they would be in opposition to the family values that we as a country have been come to know, know for, and I think we would like to see that change. I'd like to see the, the uh, at least a motion in Parliament to to be speaking against this, and as well as a, a, a changing of the regulations. Um, and I think the Australian people would really like to see that as change of regulations, that the Australian flag wouldn't be demoted in an official capacity by any politician. I think uh, virtually every commentator on this program that ever talks about the Greens recognises the extreme nature of some of their particular policies and the things that they do push. Hey, there are some Australian flag protocols, and I guess in every community, every now and then, you've got to be reminded uh, of the flag protocols and how you fly the flag and, you know, what's higher than any other. Uh, are you familiar with any of those protocols, uh, Daryl? Yeah, that's right. So, it, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that the, there is in, in those protocols that the uh, those flags should be flown in a superior position to the Australian flag. So they can be flown alongside it, but if any other flag is flown in a position that um, promotes it above the Australian flag, 
that protocol says this should not be done. Now, this is not legally binding yet on Parliament. I think Parliament should see that, that that's done. Um, it's interesting that the Australian community would be so excited about putting a flag up on the Sydney Harbour Bridge that represents uh, our community's values regards to the Aboriginal community. Um, and they're really excited to see that, that those values or those, that particular move about the um, Uluru Statement and things like that promoted. And at the same time, we see the Australian flag being demoted. Um, and I think that's very interesting. It shows you how powerful flags are in terms of representing a certain sex, um, selection of values and what they, what they stand for. So flags are quite important in our community. They represent our values and who we are, the symbolic standard that we have about what, what our country stands for, I guess. Uh, wonderful stuff, Daryl. Hey, just one more. I'm not sure whether you're across the detail, but uh, the significant life to honour today, some listeners will remember the outspoken faith and family advocacy of Mrs. Rona Joyner. Uh, you familiar with Rona Joyner, Daryl? Unfortunately, I'm not. I must not be as widely read as yourself. Okay, well, uh, just a, a little note here, and I just wanted to include this, and uh, and perhaps you know uh, you might reflect, and I might uh, just uh, spark your memory here. She uh, passed away peacefully at home last weekend after a short illness, and her funeral's being held today at Burpengarry in Queensland, and her burial will be at Deception Bay. Well, the family let us know. Rona had reached the grand old age of 99 and a half years and her health took a significant downturn over the last two or three weeks which saw her spend six days in hospital due to an aspiration chest infection. Now the family received some very kind words uh, from Christian political lobbyists and let me just read uh, some of these these kind words that were spoken from uh, those uh, colleagues that work in different uh, Christian advocacy circles, uh, Wendy Francis from the Christian Lobby said, Rona Joyner cared deeply for the welfare of our nation's people and in particular for women and children. With her passing, we've lost a significant warrior for good. Earlier this year, at 99 years of age, Rona joined a protest against euthanasia laws outside Queensland's parliament She'll be missed, but her unwavering commitment to truth and life has inspired many others who'll carry on her work. Uh, Lyle Shelton, who you'll be familiar with, and uh, he's got a new role these days uh, with the Family First Party, and we'll be following through some things like that, but uh, he's reflected on Rona Joyner. He said, Rona Joyner's courageous and persistent voice for life, marriage and family is sadly no more. As an activist and political aspirant, she kept putting herself forward despite the odds. Her fight for the dignity of young women was... 40 years ahead of the Me Too movement. And similarly, she'll be vindicated as being on the right side of so many other issues since society comes to, uh, when society comes to its senses. Her life is an example to the rest of us to never give up. Uh, she was a wonderful advocate and uh, really was in her prime probably before you and I were even interested in the whole political scene, Daryl. She was, she was around doing stuff back in the 70s and the 80s. And, and uh, so, yes, a woman of God standing up for the family and uh, those sorts of people need to be honoured. Uh, Daryl, any any just thought to add there? Yeah, my my thoughts are there are some great champions of of the faith and of of life values in Australia, and 
um, as I appealed, every year we hold our Rally for Life here in Perth, and I often appeal to the crowd and say, there's some of you here in this crowd that can join these champions, and we honour some of those champions at the rally every year. And um, I just want to ask if there are any people who want to think about joining this particular fight in whatever capacity they can, whether they want to become doctors or they want to become uh, uh, advocates or they want to become uh, just carers and psychologists and nurses and whatever else they can to serve people in a way that Christian care, but also um, speaks up boldly in the public square. And I think we as Christians and like what this, this lady has done is speak boldly into the public square and not be afraid and to speak like Daniel um, into a, a hostile environment at times, but not be afraid from the pushback that comes from that. And you see that God will honor those people and um, Christians uh, really recognize what a wonderful work they do. And we, we thank for what she's done in her life. Yeah, so it's just great to have those champions that we can look up to and follow in their footsteps. Sometimes we think uh, some of the great advocates for family and for faith have only just uh, arisen in the last decade. But here's a lady who began her advocacy, her activism, uh, way back in 1969. And uh, so just honouring Rona Joyner today. And she died on the weekend it is her funeral today, and uh, and our condolences to the family. Hey, Daryl, let me point people to the Family Voice website. Uh, following through on some of these campaigns and issues you've got going, familyvoice.org.au, familyvoice.org.au. Daryl Budge is Family Voice State Director for Western Australia and also President of the Coalition for the Defence of Human Life. Daryl, thanks so much for your update today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. God bless you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.